Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles. Go with me to Exodus 34. Exodus 34. We're going to wrap up the book of Exodus this morning. Exodus 34 is the ending of the, the moment, the, what we call the dealing with the sin of, of the Israelites when they make the golden calf. Uh, chapters 35 through the end of the book, the last five chapters, just deal with uh, God giving instructions on the tabernacle and how they're to make uh, that and do and what's to be a part of that. And really, as we end today, the the whole, the first part of 34 really sets everything up for Christianity. And it really speaks a lot to where the Israelites have been and where they'll continue to go even after Moses. I don't know about you, but most people, psychologists tell us, exaggerate their own positive character. They, they exaggerate how their characteristics of how good they are compared to other people. Any, anybody here want to confess you exaggerate to the positive on your character? Yeah, I, you see, we don't want to do that. But, but the truth of the matter is, we tend to think of ourselves better than somebody else. I mean, look, do, do this for me. If you're at home, you can look around and point, point this out. But in this room, look around this room and, and look. Just Take a, take a quick look. Means look. Now don't point. But who are you better in this room? Now, I said don't point. Unless it's your spouse, then you can point there. You, you know, we, we have a tendency to think of ourselves as better than, than others. I'll give you a great example. 2014, there was a, a British uh, firm, an a, um, analyst firm, who decides to put this to the test. So they go, to a, they go to a prison, and they evaluate the prison, the people in prison, the men who are 18 to 34, 35-year-olds. They ask them a list of questions about their character, their integrity, their morals, what they believe, all sorts of things. Would you be shocked to know that in this prison, these are the most moral people on the planet of the earth? Because every one of them said, my morals are better than anybody else's in this building. And most people around the world. They went on to say, my character, my, my integrity is better than anybody else in this prison and, and those around the world. I have high integrity. The only question they didn't answer out of the 20 or so 30 questions they didn't answer that they are better than most people was law-abiding. And here's how they answered that one. I'm average. <laughs> Meaning, I'm the only one who got caught, but I, was, I break the law just like everybody else does. Here's the thing. People over-exaggerate how good they are. I think the problem with that is because we look around and we see people and we go, well, I'm better than you. And we'll never say that publicly. 
But when, but when somebody goes, let me think about it. If you've ever done this, you, you, then you're in this category. Somebody's family experiences a divorce. Well, you know, I saw that coming because this happened. We're better than that. I don't ever let that happen. When somebody loses their job, well, you know, at least I show up every day. They, they didn't show up all the time. You know, they were all the time. We quickly evaluate our worth and our character when we look at other people. Chapter 34 of Exodus. God has been dealing with the people of Israel. They come to this point while Moses is on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments. The things that they had already promised to do. And in that promise that we'll never worship another God. Make a, uh, carved images. And they're down there taking off their jewelry. And Aaron is taking that gold and making a golden calf. And Moses comes down. And remember, Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments in his hands. And because of their sinfulness, Moses... In, in, in fury and anger that represented the anger of God threw those Ten Commandments down and they shattered. And all of Israel knew, uh, we made a mistake here. And God says, I'm going to send you on. My promise is that you would see the promised land. But I tell you what, I'm going to send my angel, but I'm not going with you stiff-necked people. Because, I, because I'd kill you. Now, is, can we ever escape the presence of God? No. But that was God's anger being revealed. And so what does God do? He, as we looked last week, he, he comes down, but he no longer comes down in the middle of camp. Moses sets up a tent outside of camp, away from everybody. And that's where God meets with Moses. Today, in chapter 34, Moses has going back to the mountain. And he's going to plead with God for God to continue to lead them. And in today, as we look at chapter 34, we're going to see God's character. And what I want you to, to understand is as we see ourselves, we should never see ourselves in light of someone else, but always in light of God. And when we recognize that, we understand how much we need God and how much a sinner we are. So if you have your Bibles and you're at Exodus 34, would you stand as we read God's holy word today? Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 34, the Lord said to Moses, cut two stone tablets like the first ones, and I will write on them the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be prepared by morning. Come up Mount Sinai in the morning and stand before me on the mountaintop. No one may come up with you. In fact, no one should be seen anywhere on the mountain. Even the flocks and herds are not to gaze in front of the mountain. Moses cut two stone tablets like the first ones. He got up early in the morning and taking the two stone tablets in his hands, he climbed Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there. 
and proclaimed his name, the Lord. The Lord passed in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in faith, faithful love and truth, maintaining faithful love to thousands of generations, forgiven iniquity, rebellion, and sin. But he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of of the punish uh, consequences of the I've lost myself father's iniquity on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Moses immediately knelt low to the ground and worshipped. Then he said, "My Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, my Lord, please go with us, even though these stiff-necked people forgive our iniquity, our own sin." And accept us as your own possessions. May that be the Lord's prayer for us today. You may be seated. So this morning, here's the big idea I want you to catch. It's simply this. When people recognize God's character, catch this. When people recognize God's character, they will see his love and their need for forgiveness. When we we recognize God's character, we're going to see God's love because God is love. Amen? Amen. Aren't you grateful that God is love? If it wasn't for God's love, where would we be? But when we recognize his love and then we look at ourselves, we recognize we're in need of forgiveness, not just once, but daily. And not just one time a day but multiple times a day. And so let's look at, the, let's look at who God is. Let's look at his character, characteristics. He, and listen, we find it from, from God himself. He gives it to us. The first one is compassionate. He tells him, I'm a compassionate God. From Genesis to Revelation, through the pages of Scripture, we find a compassionate God. I mean, think about it. From, from Adam in the garden... And Eve, God is compassionate, helping them, providing for them, and making sure they have all that they needed. And even when sin came in the garden, God was still compassionate. Because God not only clothed them, but provided. We, we can go on. God provided for Noah and his family. Compassion. David. Daniel, we get to the New Testament, we see compassion. We see Jesus. Every time we we see Jesus walking down, read the gospel of Luke and you see a compassionate God. We see a compassionate God as we see the story of the good Samaritan. Everybody else would pass by, but not not God. We see a compassionate God when we read the story of the prodigal son. Right? What greater compassion is there? Dad, I wish you were dead. And so, in fact, give me what I am owed now. I don't even want to wait for your death. And the father gives it. Son goes and spends all that wild living carrying on, only to come to the rock bottom and realize 
just how good he had it at home. I'll go back and beg. I'll go back and just beg to, to be a worker. You see the compassionate father on the, on the porch sees his son. The father gets up in, in, a, in an act of love, runs to the son. Now here, we know that story. We know that not in that culture, men don't run like that. But this father runs to the son before the son can say anything, puts a, a, a coat on him, a ring on his finger, calls to have the calf that is fattened calf slaughtered. Let's throw a party. My son has come home. The whole message there is God is compassionate. God is a compassionate God. The people of Israel had experienced that compassion. Crying out for years, God hearing them and responding. Do you, can you give me testimony of God's compassion in your own life? Yes. You sure can. You, you can talk about trials that you've come through and how God has just loved you through them. And how you've experienced God's compassion in your life when you didn't deserve it. Second thing we find in this text that he tells us, he's a gracious God. Gracious God. Grace. Oh my gosh. Grace. Grace. Receiving what we do not deserve. We don't deserve God's love. We don't. I mean, we're sinners. We make mistakes. We, we constantly live with our own thought process that we're better than, than somebody else or we, we deserve this. We, we live in a culture that says it's all about me. Get what I can get. It is so contradictory to what God says. But God it offers grace. And think about the grace that God offered throughout, throughout Scripture. I've already told you, Adam and Eve and the sin in the garden, grace there. David and Bathsheba, man after God's own heart, grace. In fact, you read Matthew's genealogy, uh, in, in, let me back up. When you read Jesus' genealogy in the Gospel of Matthew, you find there are names there in that genealogy that, hey, that's just not a genealogy you want to proclaim because there's a lot of skeletons in that closet. You got prostitutes. I mean, ain't nobody really wants to stand up and go, hey, look at our closet. Look who, look who we have. They're there because of the grace of God. They're there because God's grace changed their life. You look at the, you look at the disciples. Golly, look at, the, look at that bunch of men. And listen, let's don't fool anybody. They weren't, the, they weren't the brightest crayons in the box. They were a few french fries short of a Happy Meal because if they were that good, they'd have been picked up by another rabbi. But they weren't. And so they were making their living as fishermen, tax collectors. I mean, let's be honest. Anybody like a tax collector today? Uh, for those who are watching at home, nobody raised their hand, okay? Um, you know, all these people, but God's grace transformed their life. Grace. 
pardon and cleanse within. Grace is greater than our sins. God looks at Moses and says, I'm a compassionate and I'm a grace, filled with grace. The second thing is, praise the Lord, he's slow to anger. Slow to anger. Anybody here, just the opposite of that, you get fired up. Don't raise your hand. That's, I should have said that before. That's not something you should be proud of. But, but I know from my own personal life, there was a period in my life I, I, I can get angry pretty quick. You know, and, uh, and I, you may or may not know this about me, but I can get angry and I can, I can throw, I can, I can put a few jabs in and, and make sure we can escalate this situation pretty quickly. Praise God, that's not God. Because if it was, I wouldn't be here today. Because if God was a wrathful God, he would certainly have done me in. Because there have been moments in my life when I've been bitter, frustrated, angry, just at God. Why would you do that? Why would you let that happen? How come this happens? Why can't I not do this? Why? And, and in doing so, I, 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 you know, I, I, tell, I tease you all the time, half-jokingly, um, that my counselors are little Debbie, Ben and Jerry, you know, those types of things. But there's, there's, there's a reason that happens to us that way. Because we get frustrated with ourselves. We get, when, when life just kind of pins up and we get angry, whether we lash out or something, we, we do things. And for many people, they eat because that's their comfort. God is a slow to anger God. He's, he's compassionate and gracious. And he wants what's best for us. As a parent, you understand that because as a parent, you watch your children go through stages. And as they go through stages, there are stages that you get very frustrated with them in because they don't seem to listen or, or understand. And you pray that they will get out of that. But you understand the, the need to, to be slow to anger with that. But, but let, me, let me make sure you understand God does get angry from time to time. We've seen that in the people of Israel. The fourth thing he tells us, he's abounding in love. Abounding in love. Overflowing. Fullness of love. Abundant love. An abundant love. What does abundant love look like? Well, here's the best way I can describe it. You remember how your grandparents doted on you? That's a way to describe it. And that's not even, the, that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But you, but you know, uh, told Joe this morning, uh, grandparents' job is to spoil their grandchildren. End of story. You know, it's to, it's to just make life miserable for their mom and dad because they remember how it was when they grew up. You know, as a child, you wouldn't listen. Well, I'm going to feed your child sugar and send them home to you and see how you like it now. You know? I'm just halfway kidding with that. You know? 
But my dad has looked at me when I've scolded my son at his house and said, you don't do that in this house. All right, Drew, we're leaving. Let's go. (laughs) That's the thing. Abounding in love is, is a love that is so great. The other thing we learn here is abounding in truth. In other words, there is so much truth to be found in God. Jesus says, I am the, the truth. If we want to know what's right in this world and want to know what's wrong, we just need to evaluate it by what God says. If you want to live a life worthy of truth, you just follow the example we find in Scripture. When we look at truth and when we wrestle, and and listen, listen, we're in a, we've been in, let's just not say we're starting, we've been in a culture for years that is blinded by what is really true and right according to Scripture. And so many people have decided they, that this, I have learned, it doesn't have to be true to be right in somebody's eyes. They, they, they'll believe something that there are facts that even prove they're wrong, but they still think it's true. But when we go to God and God's word, we know what truth is, right? right. And the thing is, if we want to know truth, we go to God. Not to Listen, not, not to offend anybody, but don't go to your grandmother, don't go to your, your neighbor, don't go, go to God. Go to God. Fifth thing, or uh, constant in love. Now, you go, Pastor, we've already talked about uh, abiding love, well, abounding love. Constant in love, look what the text tells us. It tells us he's going to love them for a long time. Look, look with me again at the text. Uh, it's not there on the screen, but you can see it here. Um, in verse 7, maintaining faithful love to thousands of generations. Catch that. Thousands of generations. In other words, God's constant love will move on. It was here before you came along. It'll be here long after you. When we look at Scripture, we find the same love God offered to Adam and Eve. We find that same love that he offers the disciples. We find that same love Paul recognizes in Scripture. We see that same love over and over and over. God's love doesn't change. It is consistent and it is there for generations. It's a love that's Never ending. The last characteristic I want you to catch. I know I'm going a little quick. There's quite a few of these, but I want you to catch them all. Is eager to forgive. He's eager to forgive. Look again at the text, verse 7. It says, Maintaining faithful love to a thousand generations. Forgiving iniquity. Rebellion. And sin. Now, I don't have time to unpack all three words, but you catch the point. But then he says, but he will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing consequences consequences of the father's iniquity on the children, the grandchildren, to the third and fourth generations. So, 
I want you to catch God is eager to forgive. We see that in the garden. We see that we see that in the New Testament with Peter. I mean, you got two men who deny Christ. Really. And they're both disciples. But there's a difference. One is Judas. Judas decides, eh, 30 pieces of silver. That's a pretty good take. I'll sell him out. The other denies Christ, not to his face, but to those who put pressure on him. The little girl in the, you know, I love that he caves to the little girl at the campfire. Aren't you, aren't, weren't you with it? Well, I don't know who you're talking about. And, and at one moment, if you look at the, the Greek text there, the Aramaic, it's almost as though he curses. I don't know that man. Then the third time. Aren't, aren't you sure? I am not with him. All of a sudden, the rooster crows. And at that moment, Peter realizes what he's done. Both men have, have denied Christ. But there's a difference in the two. One sought forgiveness. One, to, one went to a God who's eager to forgive. The other was ashamed and went away and took his own life. One recognized that God would forgive. The other couldn't see past themselves to realize that there was a God who's compassionate and love, who's gracious, who's, who's loving, who's eager to forgive. And so he took his life. Do you understand God is eager to forgive you of your sins? And you go, why do you keep saying eager to forgive your sins? It says he's willing to forgive your sins. Oh, let me, look, let's say it this way. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let me, let me tell you how eager he is. He sent his one and only son for you and for me. That tells me how much he wants to forgive you. It tells me that we are in need of saving and he's willing to do whatever he can do for, for you and for me to recognize we need forgiveness. Those are the characteristics of God. And I think those are great characteristics for you and I today to stop and think about how compassionate we are people around us. Do we, when we encounter those people who, who, who may be looking to take advantage of us, are we at least compassionate and kind or are we rude and send them away? For years we've heard the stories. I don't know how it is with COVID, but for years we've heard the stories that the people who hate the church the most on Sundays are the waitresses at the restaurant. Because we come from a place of worship and uh, adoration of God and then we walk in and we are rude and unkind. And the reality is we've just heard the truth. Are we gracious? Listen, look at your neighbor and say, everybody falls short. Look at your neighbor and tell them everybody falls short.
so be kind. Every, you know, listen, everybody's going to mess up, right? Everybody's going to mess up. And listen, you ought to know that because of who you live with. No, I'm just saying, back up. That was probably, line, there goes past. Okay. Um, Everybody makes mistakes. We got to be gracious. We need to be loving. One of the reasons why I don't think the church is as evangelistic as it should be is we don't understand love. We don't understand to love one another as we're supposed to. We don't understand the love of God well enough in our own life to share, to, to love others with that same kind of love. And we need to be eager to forgive. We've got way too many people, you, you upset the apple cart and, and they're, they're against you for the rest of their life. That's nothing, nothing in what God teaches Well, pastor, you don't know how many times I've had to forgive them. I know the Bible tells us that we're to forgive them 70 times 7. In other words, not not to do the math, but that's just you forgive them every time. Eager to forgive. So let me give you you how we respond. In this text, we we see God giving his, we see God giving us his characteristic. Watch how Moses responds. Remember, God, God has said, I don't want to be around these stiff-necked persons. First, first way uh, Moses ex- uh, responds is by acknowledging God's greatness. By acknowledging his greatness. He acknowledges his greatness. How does he acknowledge his greatness? He bows down and worship. He bows down and worship. Verse, verse 8 there tells us that he immediately knelt to the ground. And what did he do, church? He worshiped. When you encounter God, are you worshiping God? Are you acknowledging how great he is? The problem is, I think sometimes we race through worship. We race through our Bible study. We race through our quiet time. And we forget to acknowledge God. Moses in this moment kneels down and worship. Now, here, here's the thing. I, I, there's a lot in this text I could have could have pointed out because God has promised him in the end of chapter 33, he would see his glory and, and God's going to put him in the rock and he's going to pass by and he's going to, he's fulfilling his promise. God is a promise keeper. And so Moses knows all that and so he bows down and worships. But the second thing he does is he acknowledges the acknowledgement of our sinfulness. He acknowledges the sinfulness Listen, we are all sinners when we compare ourselves to God. We are terrible in light of who God is. We are in desperate need of forgiveness in light of who God is. Oh, you might look better than your neighbor or somebody that you work with, but God's not looking at your neighbor and comparing the two of you. He's looking at his, it's what he's called us to be. As Paul says, you hear me say it often, be imitators of God. Ephesians 5.1. But in verse 9, look what it says there in the text. Then he said, my Lord, if I have indeed found favor with you, which he knew he had, he got to come to the mountain. Lord, please go with us. And so he's begging, don't 
don't forget us. Don't let us go without you. Even though, and he acknowledges, even though the stiff-necked people forgive our iniquities and our sins and accept us as your own possessions. Moses comes to the place where he says to God, hey, listen, would you forgive us? Oh, we're stiff-necked. We're, we're everything and more than, than what you call us. But we're nothing without you. We need you to go with us. We need your forgiveness. Friends, that's the, the message of the gospel. Acknowledging who God is and realizing our need for him. And the only way that happens in your life and mine is if we come to the place and we ask God to forgive us. So what's our takeaways today? We look at two takeaways. Number one, live with the understanding of God's love and his desire for a right relationship with us. We need to learn to live with the understanding of God's love and his desire for a right relationship with us. Here's the thing. No matter who you are and no matter what you've done, God loves you and desires to be in a right relationship with you. No matter who you are, what you've done, hear me clearly. No matter who you are and what you've done, God desires a right relationship with you. We have people who think they have messed up and God would never love them. Listen, when you read the scriptures, you find there are messed up people from Genesis to Revelation and God loves them. People who've turned their backs on him, people who have prostituted themselves, people who have done ungodly things, committed murder, all sorts of things. And yet God in his love says, I love you. And so we have to live with that understanding that God loves us no matter what we've done and he desires a right relationship with us. But understand what a right relationship looks like, which is number two, is living with the reality of our sinfulness and our need to be forgiven to have a right relationship with God. And our need to be forgiven. You, listen, you're not going to get a right relationship until you come to the place and you seek forgiveness. And really, that should be turn from your sinful ways. Does that mean you'll never sin again? Heavens no. We all sin. But we recognize where we're at and we're turning from that and we're moving to God. We're no longer going to go down that path. We're no longer going to follow that way. We're going to turn and go this way. And yes, we may, we may take two steps forward and, and three back, but we're still moving forward because God loves us and we need his forgiveness. The thing I, I'm just puzzled is when you look at this group of inmates who decided that they were better than most of the world, because as they asked themselves the questions, their, moral, their morals were higher, their integrity was higher, all these things were higher, it, with the exception of law-breaking, and we're average. It reminds me of how all of us are. In light of, of everyone else's, how we evaluate ourselves. We're okay. We're okay. It's like the story of the two guys who... 
who go bear hunting. And one guy gets out and puts his tennis shoes on and said, well, you didn't tell me to put my tennis shoes on. He said, well, in case we got to run. Well, why didn't you tell me? Well, I only have to outrun you. You know, we look at our life and go, as long as I, I'm better than them, God's going to love me. Friends, that's poor theology. That's poor thought processes. God is love, and he desperately desires a right relationship with you. The only way you're going to have that right relationship is if you turn from your sinful ways and acknowledge him and seek his face. So this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, here's the thing, that's the first step. You, you don't have to get your life straightened out. You, you don't have, you know, listen, he's not after you to clean yourself up and get right. He's just asking you to acknowledge who he is and that you need him. You come to him just as you are. You come with all your brokenness, all your issues, all your background. You come and acknowledge that you need him. That's what he wants you to do. You come acknowledging that you believe he sent his one and only son. That he loves you so much that he'll take your sins away from you. And you come this morning and you choose to follow Christ. That's what it means to come to know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. It's not a secret handshake, not a secret prayer, not a, not a special word you got to say. It's just acknowledging who you are and who God is and believing that he sent his one and only son and that that son went to a cross for your sins and for mine and on the third day he arose from the grave. And then choosing to live. If you're here this morning and that's the decision of your heart, in just a moment as we sing our hymn of invitation, when we dismiss, myself and Mike Thomason will be right outside these doors. We'd love to talk to you. Maybe it's a prayer that you've got that, that you just need to pray, that you, you're asking, you, has nothing to do with your salvation, but you just need prayer, or maybe it is to come to know Christ, you come over there. Maybe you've got another decision to join our church family, or you've got questions, come see us. We'll be glad to, to pray with you, talk with you. If you're watching us on, on television or on our Facebook or YouTube channel, you can use this telephone number, 270-681-2363. 270-681-2363. You can call that, text that, leave a message, and one of our staff today will get back with you. But aren't you glad God is good? Aren't you glad he loves you? Aren't you glad he's gracious, slow to anger? So in light of all that, how do you live? What changes need to make? What do you need to go from here? Would you stand with me?